Welcome to the Couples Healing Podcast, where you'll get the tools for him to overcome his addiction, for her to find healing from the pain that it causes her, and for you to heal your relationship and come back together. I hope that you enjoy and subscribe. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode today. I am looking forward to speaking with you about something that I feel like so many men have a hard time doing, yet it's one of the most critical elements in the process. I want to talk to you guys today about what it is to identify your triggers and how you can do this and why this is important for her and for the relationship as well. And so there's a handful of things that I want to go over with you that I hope will help to Uh, help you guys move down this process more effectively and ultimately resolve the reason why the addictions in the, why the addiction is happening in the first place. So I think about step number one, that is the most overlooked or rather it's the most, uh, how do I say this? A lot of times people try to identify their triggers, but usually it doesn't go deep enough and without going truly to the core and the heart of the matter, this is the thing that's going to keep people stuck in the addiction for a long, long time. And so I remember uh, working with a client, I want to share a few examples with you just to kind of get your mind going in the direction that I'm I'm, uh, wanting to kind of share with you. Because sometimes people say, well, okay, I know my triggers, like I just get bored. Or I kind of just feel, I don't know, I feel like I just have empty space on my, you know, empty time throughout the day. I'm at the office and I'm just there by myself. And so, you know, there's, I just have downtime. And so then I end up slipping or they'll share some equally surface level trigger and they'll kind of just say, well, I just justify it. Or, you know, uh, I'll just, I'll rationalize to myself and say, it's not that big of a deal. Or, you know, maybe I'll just check the internet and I'll scroll around and I'm not going to do anything that I shouldn't do, but I'm going to go check my email or they'll say something like that and then they'll think, well, the, the computer must be the trigger. Without really identifying and recognizing actually what it is, so many times people set up these boundaries and they put filters on their devices and do all this stuff, which can be helpful for a time for, for certain people. But if they don't get to the core of why it happens, then they'll always be fighting against the temptation. The temptation for the addiction is a direct result of the triggers that you experience. And once you can identify and resolve the triggers, then the temptation for the addiction goes away. Because there's a big difference between natural sexual energy in the body and feeling desire versus wanting to escape with the addiction. And so it's important that we separate those two things out because just like you know, we all have a, a sexual desire or there's like we all have an inborn sex drive and that doesn't go away, nor do we want that to go away because it's there for an important purpose. And when we channel that energy into a positive and productive and healthy way, it benefits the relationship. It helps couples come together uh, even closer. It builds a bond. It helps to increase trust. There's lots of benefits for having a healthy sexual relationship. And so we don't want that to go away but we do want to target what is causing somebody to turn to the addiction and what are the actual triggers for that. And so I remember working with a client one time where he shared with me that his wife early on in the process did not understand addiction and she did not understand. And I think most people don't, which is one of the first things that I recommend for people to do is they get educated. So I'm happy to have you guys here on the podcast and I hope it's been helpful if you've been following along for any length of time, just to give you insight and understanding into the addiction and the different aspects of it. <clears throat> and so 
his wife didn't understand addiction and she said that she shared with him, they had a conversation one day and she said, I have a theory. And my theory uh, is about why you're looking at other women and why you have slipped in the addiction. And he's like, okay, well, what's your theory? And she said that if he was truly into her, into his wife, then he wouldn't be looking at other women, women, and he wouldn't be, his mind wouldn't wander, his eyes wouldn't wander, he wouldn't fall back into the addiction. And she said, it all comes down to, it just must mean, if you're looking elsewhere, it must mean that you're not really into me. And when he hears this, he can understand where he's coming from because his decisions point to that interpretation. But when I asked him about it, I'm like, he, I said, well, are you? Are you into your wife? Do you really, do you love her? Do you care about her? And he's like, yes, of course I care about her. Of course I love her, but she doesn't understand that. And so he then goes on to describe, like, this is, I get stuck in this cycle and I, I honestly don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think that there is just, you know, I'm, I'm standing in the line at the grocery store or going to the gym and somebody gives me attention or, you know, I look at somebody and somebody's there at summertime and they're, you know, not fully covered up. And so my mind starts to go in that direction. And then I think to myself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? It's not because I don't love my wife. It's not because she's not enough. And so we didn't truly understand that. And so when I work with clients, this is the very first step without truly identifying with such perfect clarity, what your triggers are, we can't move forward because we have to have something and there can be multiple triggers. And so ultimately I'll try to find, okay, what are, what, are the, what are the one or two core things at the root of this problem that cause them to turn to the addiction? And then there's some process and some exercises that I walk them through to help them break those, those triggers to resolve them and create closure and then we go th- over the next week or two and then we pay attention. Okay, what else is coming up? Is there anything else that you notice? Because sometimes there are these like branches of other kind of somewhat related triggers that then we will target and resolve in the same process. Step number one is resolving and understanding or is being able to identify the trigger. And so when I talked to him about this, he was describing that, you know, when I have, I, he says, there's this like, I'm at the I'm at the grocery line and then he starts to wonder, okay, do I really like her? And then he's like, no, of course I don't like this other person at the grocery store. And then he asked the question, well, why am I doing what I'm doing? And my response to him was, whenever we're doing something that we are consciously, whenever we're doing something that's out of alignment with our values and our goals, it's because there's some kind of an inner conflict. And so often people are not aware of what that conflict is. Therefore, they don't give it the attention that it needs. Therefore, it doesn't get resolved. So the conflict remains. And so I said, if there is a part of you, if there, if you know that you don't want to be entertaining thoughts of anybody else or anything else, you don't want anything to get between you and your wife, yet you find yourself stuck in these patterns where you're going back to that behavior, there's some kind of a conflict there. I said, think about how many people who, who say they want to lose weight, let's say, for an example, or they want to go to the gym and get healthy or eat better or, you know, pick any goal. Yet they do the same thing that's, they do that, they get stuck in the same pattern and then they don't eat healthy or they don't go to the gym and they don't lose weight. It's not because the, the, the knowledge about how to lose weight is only reserved for the 1%. 
It's that there's some kind of an inner conflict that prevents somebody from following through. And this is no different. So when he says to himself, why am I doing what I'm doing? I love my wife. I care about her. That why in them, why then am I entertaining thoughts of these other things? I said, there's some kind of an inner conflict. So we just need to identify what it is. Instead of me giving you all these surface level tools and telling you to, I've, I can't tell you how many like bizarre things I've heard people say where they, they meet with other therapists who don't understand addiction. So they give them these surface tools. For instance, one of them is, I remember hearing a, a client say, well, I was told one time to wear a rubber band. And anytime I got tempted, I was supposed to pull the rubber band and let it go and let it slap against my wrist to kind of snap me out of the process. And there are other things like that where I just think to myself, like, that is, that's not addressing the problem. The problem isn't the temptation. The problem is what's driving the temptation. And so when I told him there's some kind of inner, inner conflict that we then need to identify and resolve and figure out what this is, I started to ask him about, so this goes into the process, right? If I were to help you identify your triggers, I'm, I'm asking these questions to clients. So you can also ask them to, for yourself as well. One of the things that I asked him was, what is it, what happens for you when you get attention from another woman, let's say? Like, what does that mean? What feeling does that bring up for you? I'm just looking for what is this underlying thing that is happening inside for him, because that will then reveal what needs to get the attention, what needs to be addressed. And he said, well, if I get attention from somebody else, even if they kind of, if I'm at the gym and then they look at me or uh, I've worked with people who are um, not in relationships and they'll say that, you know, as they're trying to find somebody, they'll be in the gym and they'll look around and they'll kind of wait for somebody to look, you know, give them a double take. And then the, the guy would think like, oh, okay, like, cool, she's into me. So maybe I'll go talk to her. So whether you're in a relationship or not, if you find yourself seeking after or kind of like if 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 that speaks to you right getting attention from a woman if that's speaking to you and then your mind goes down the rabbit hole towards addiction my question to him was what is that that's what what does that feeling what is that feeling happening inside of you when you get that attention so he said well when i get attention from somebody else it speaks right to my gut it makes me feel like I am good enough. It makes me feel like I'm desired. It makes me feel like somebody's choosing me. And so I start to get a better sense when he's saying all of these things are happening inside for me when I'm getting attention from somebody else. That speaks to a deeper part of me that says I must be good enough. I must be okay. There's something about me that somebody else wants. Therefore, being desirable means that I am I'm enough. And so for him, as we kind of expanded this and spent time asking questions and trying to get clarity on what's happening, it ultimately went down to this core belief of getting attention from another woman speaks to him in a way that tells him he's good enough, that he's acceptable, that somebody wants him. And so once we identify this core thing, and for him, this was at the core of what was driving the addiction for him. It was a need to feel like he was enough. It was, a, it was validation of his worth to get attention from somebody else. So I want to be clear, the trigger is not sexual attention from somebody else. The trigger is needing and wanting to feel like a good person. 
And in that context, that's how he started to feel like that need was being met. So maybe I guess I'll say it in the inverse. Really, the trigger is not feeling like you're a good person. So some kind of an experience or some kind of a situation will speak directly to the opposite of that, that will trigger this response inside of him because he's then starting to feel like he's getting that need met. So that unmet need of not being a good person, not being enough, not being included, not being accepted, that was the core thing for him. So once you identify these deeper things, because again, instead of saying, well, the grocery store is a trigger or seeing an attractive woman's a trigger or having too much time on my hands or you know any number of these surface level things, those are not the triggers. What it really is are these deeper underlying, often negative beliefs, painful emotions that we are trying to escape. And there's they're just pulling us away from where we consciously want to go and our goals and where our values are. These underlying unmet needs are often the trigger for addiction. And unless you know that, you'll never be able to get those underlying needs met. So this is just one example. I'll share with you a different example. I remember working with somebody where he was stuck in the same patterns. And as he turned to pornography, I asked him, okay, what was going on for you? What was that that led to that? And he's like, well, I just kind of get bored or... Uh, you know, I've, I've got same of those things, the same things that I've just mentioned. He feels bored. He's got time on his hands and then he has nothing else to do. So he just goes ahead and, and he slips. And then afterwards he beats himself up and thinks, what am I doing? This is not the goal that I have. This is going against my values. And the whole cycle continues because there's this inner conflict and he wasn't aware of what it was that was driving. He used to just think I have time or, uh, you know, I'm bored when really it was much, much deeper. So for him, as I asked him about what was going on for him, after asking a series of questions to try to understand what's what's beneath this idea of I'm bored, I'm asking him more along, along the lines of what is, is it that something that you're trying to escape from? And he's like, well, yeah, I, I do escape. I, yeah, while yes, I feel bored, but I say, okay, in other experiences, are you, are you using the addiction to escape or cope from pain? And he says, yes. So then I start to ask, what is it that you're coping from? It's like, well, oftentimes I get into a fight with my wife. And so on the surface, the fight with his wife, he says, well, that must be the trigger then. Anytime I fight with my wife, I, I just think to myself, well, like, ah, I don't want to deal with this. I'm trying my best. It's not working. So I'm just going to distract myself and not think about that anymore and then turn to the computer. So as I dig even beneath the fight with his wife, I ask him, what does that bring up for him when he gets into a fight? Again, so if you can, 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 if you can also consider these questions, this can help you identify what your triggers are. And so I, I ask him, what does that bring up for him? And he says, well, when I have a fight with my wife, I feel like I'm a failure and I'm disappointing her. And when he feels like he's a failure and he's disappointing his wife, that's so painful and overwhelming for him because he's trying his best and he wants to do a good job and he doesn't want to lose his marriage. But the intensity of what it feels like for him to be a failure causes him to want to escape from that pain. There's a couple of things that we can do with this. But the first objective is to identify what exactly is going on in those moments. And so I've shared with you a couple of these examples where there are these 
underlying triggers that cause this. It's I almost think about it like a set of dominoes, where once the first domino, uh, let me, I'll even share with you a different uh, analogy. I think in these like weird images and analogies, I think the analogy of the domino works well. Another one that I think about is imagine being on a roller coaster, right? You're on the platform of the roller coaster. You get into the ride. As soon as you click into the ride and then it leaves the station, there is no turning back. And then you start clicking up the hill and each click you're getting higher and higher and higher, ultimately right before this fall happens. And so sometimes guys will say, well, the trigger must be that I'm any one of these things. I'm bored or I'm, you know, I'm frustrated or I get into a fight with my wife. And then I start to rationalize and I think, well, maybe it's not that bad or maybe I can do that just this once or maybe I'll look at this picture and it isn't actually pornography. So, you know, it's not that it's not that big of a deal. They'll try to minimize it. They'll justify it. They'll rationalize it. And in those moments when that is happening, you're already locked into the ride. So this is maybe where the analogy breaks down a little bit because there's entry point or there's exit points all throughout the process, right before the trigger happens, right after the trigger happens, right after you start to justify it or rationalize it, right before you slip. There's ways to get off, right? With a roller coaster, not as much, right? But the idea is that once you lock in and you click into the seat, you're going up the hill and the justifications are a result of already being triggered. The rationalizations, the minimizations, whenever that's happening, you know that something's all, the domino has already fallen over and it's now knocking over these other dominoes, which then lead you to justify the decision to slip. And when you come out of that trance, because again, it's almost like we're in autopilot in those moments. And yes, while we're making decisions, this like good angel, bad angel kind of an idea. When the bad angel is speaking and it's saying, do this, do this, it's not that bad, you're already in the process of it. And so as I go back to this roller coaster analogy, the goal is to get way before the justifications and the rationalizations way before you even get into the ride if you recognize what it is that clicks you into it that brings you down this cycle of addiction that's when it's most effective to intervene that's when people once they understand and uncover those initial triggers then they truly can find freedom from the addiction permanently because the 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 stress and the fight the resistance, the, the pushing against, the willpower, all of that is a result of those dominoes having already fallen. So if you go to the uh, a roller coaster analogy, it's, it's as if you're on the roller coaster and then you're going up the ride and you're like trying to unclick yourself. You're unstrapping yourself from the from the cart. You're trying to find some exit. You're fighting. You're, let's say you can get off the roller coaster and you start pushing against the cart which in real life obviously can't happen, but the analogy is such that you're trying to use all your energy to stop the thing from going over the hill. This is the reason why people have such a hard time overcoming addiction because they're using their energy and their effort and their discipline to stop the car from going over the ledge when that's just such an ineffective way to do it. This is why people often say, other like other other people who are in the industry, other therapists and and people who have been around for a long time, they say addiction takes three to five years to overcome. And the reason why is because they're using these traditional methods that are all about trying to have these exit points 
after the trigger's already happened. If you're trying to deep breathe and calm yourself down, there absolutely is a place for that. But deep breathing doesn't solve this underlying fear of not being good enough or the underlying pain of feeling like a failure. Deep breathing doesn't solve those things. It can help mitigate that in the moment. But again, it's more of the same. It's just like you're pushing against something that's already fired off. And so it takes a long, long, long time for people to train themselves in the face of failure, in the face of rejection and not being good enough and being unworthy. It takes a long time for people to fight against the power of that, which is why it takes so long. And so as I learned, there's a different approach to this. There's a different way ultimately is to disarm the trigger in the very beginning so there is no resistance now. There's no willpower that you have to use. You don't have to find some fancy, some tool, some fancy thing that you can do to stop yourself from falling because you didn't get on the ride in the first place. Sometimes I'll work with guys who are in groups and they'll say, you know, my group is great. I love the guys that I'm in there with, but when I'm triggered, they are the last people who I want to call. I don't want to talk to anybody because I'm already in it. And it's almost too late for me. The phone is like the heaviest thing in the world and I can't seem to pick it up and dial the number. Even though I know they love me and they care about me, I can't seem to do it. And again, that's the reason why is because the trigger has already fired off. Now you're swimming upstream. The goal is to not even get in the water. I know I'm mixing analogies now, but I hope that this is coming across that identifying truly what the core of it is can allow you to resolve it so you don't actually get on this ride or in the river. You don't have to fight upstream. The benefit of doing this and asking yourself these questions to identify the trigger, again, is to avoid this addiction cycle from even happening. This is why, again, I think this idea of once an addict, always an addict is such a damaging mentality. And it's a very traditional sense of looking at addiction. They say, well, this is just, you know, it's a disease or you've You've got this problem that you have to deal with for the rest of your life. And I could not disagree more. I think that's so far from the truth because I've seen people over and over again become completely free from addiction because they're approaching it in a different way. And so once you disarm this bomb from going off, now it's not a threat. Once you resolve these deeper underlying triggers, these deeper underlying unmet needs, so let's, uh, I'll, I'll kind of fast forward through these different examples and show you how this works. So specifically, let's start with the first one. If he, if he feels like he's not enough, if he feels like the reason why he slips and his mind starts to entertain things that he knows that he doesn't want to, but again, these unmet needs are so powerful and it's the unmet need isn't sex. Again, the unmet need is to feel like he's enough and he's acceptable and he's desirable and that he's okay. The goal is to be able to help him remove and release that belief and, and shift it so he no longer believes it and he doesn't have any emotional charge to it. So often we can logically know that that's not true. He, he, he can tell me, I know that it's not that I'm not a good person. I know I'm a good person. I know I'm okay. But in some moments, I don't really feel that. So part of what I'll do is I'll try to, so the, pro, the process of being able to unwind this is to first understand what caused it in the first place. What caused the negative belief to show up in his life in, in the first place? 
And so in order for, it's, it's almost like in some cases it's helping them, it's helping them un, uh, it's helping them undo the negative belief instead of trying to necessarily instill a positive one. So depending on the situation, depending on the person, I'll want to go for whichever one's going to have more power, but sometimes it's, it's not believing something that's been, it's like taking a layer off instead of trying to believe this, I'm a good person. Let me grit my teeth and, you know, try to just talk myself into this. Sometimes it's just unbelieving or not, you know, taking the belief off the negative one that was created in the first place. And with this other person who says, well, I just feel like a failure. Then we start to challenge this, the definition that he has. Well, if my wife is mad with me, that means I'm a failure. That means that I am not good enough. That means I'm a bad husband. There's some negative belief that he has that isn't true that he's making about himself. And so we want to depersonalize it. So instead of him saying, well, I'm a bad husband, my wife's mad, that equals I'm a bad husband. That's completely overwhelming for so many men. They don't want to feel like a failure. They don't want to feel like they're a bad husband. And so the process in that case is to challenge that idea and help them depersonalize it. So instead of them saying, I am a failure, they can start to say, okay, that decision that I made, yeah, that didn't work. My approach in that situation, that was unproductive. Being able to take themselves out of the equation is such a critical piece because if I can acknowledge, yeah, I dropped the ball here. I made a mistake. You're right. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Not only can I, in my, in my, on an individual level, not only do I feel better about that because I'm not making it about me, some negative attribution about me and my value and my worth and my being. If I can make it about the decision that I made or the scenario or the situation or my approach or how I reacted, that's so different than who I am. I'm not my reaction. I'm not the decisions that I make. And I can change the decisions that I make. I can change the approach that I have. And so that will not only help me feel much, much better, I can. I think it helps in three different ways. Number one, I can feel still, I can still feel good and I can still feel worth and I can feel important and enough and make bad decisions sometimes. Or a lot of the time, right? Nobody's going to make a good decision every single time. So I can make lots of decisions that end up not working out and still feel good about myself because I'm not my decisions. I can just learn from my decisions and do it differently next time. And so I keep growing and progressing as a person. So not only do I feel better, number two, an opening occurs where I can actually start to make different decisions instead of beating myself up. I can learn from what went wrong and then use that as feedback to then do something different next time. So I'm, I'm able to make changes. And then number three, if, if a client can depersonalize it and his wife says, hey, you really hurt my feelings by doing this thing, he's not going to then shrink into his own shame and feel like, oh, I'm a bad person and then withdraw inside of himself, which then leaves her feeling even more alone. He's going to be able to be there and support her and care for her and be there in the way that she needs instead of shame absorbing him and pulling him away from her. And so my point in sharing this whole episode is to help you guys look beyond the more surface level kind of responses. And for the women who are listening, is to help you understand on a deeper level what's really going on. It's not about 
like my client had mentioned, right? Her theory was, well, it's just because you're not really that into me or else you wouldn't be doing this. It's so much deeper than that. And so to understand these underlying, uh, I call it like our programming or our blueprint, our beliefs, when those are in conflict with one another and we're not doing what we know we want to be do, what, what we want to be doing, then there's a conflict there. So we need to understand what it is resolve it and then we can actually make the decisions that we want to be making for our benefit and for the benefit of the relationship so again my point in sharing all of this is to help you understand there's much going on underneath the surface so asking these kinds of questions and just starting to try to pay attention to and looking at what are these deeper underlying things whether it's feelings or beliefs that are coming up that might be contributing to me turning to the addiction then you can actually resolve them so you don't get stuck on this roller coaster that you know you don't want to be on. And so I hope that this provides some hope for you as well, that by approaching it in this way, you don't have to be on this road for three to five years. And some people might be thinking, oh, well, I've been on this road for 15 years, for 20 years. And I think people oftentimes, I'll, I'll work with people who are in, who have been stuck in their addiction for literally two, three, four decades. And it's so painful for them and their spouse but it's not necessary. You don't have to stay stuck there for that long. When you approach it in a different way and truly get to the core of it and resolve it, because once you resolve these deeper level things, now all of these other dominoes don't fall and you're able to make different decisions and then not repeat the behavior. Therefore, the addiction goes away because you're not continually stuck in its pattern. So I hope this provides some hope knowing that there is there approaching in this way can help you find freedom in the a significantly shorter amount of time. And again, I want to reemphasize that word freedom, that you don't have to keep battling this forever, but being able to address this and identify the triggers is step number one after you acknowledge and, and take a step forward and say, I don't want this to be the pattern anymore. Once you acknowledge that, take that step forward, identifying the triggers is so critical. So then you can then take the steps necessary to address it depending on whatever the trigger is. And so if you feel like you need a little extra help to identify what your triggers are, you need to talk through it and then resolve them so they don't keep pulling you back into the addiction pattern, then I'd love to support you in any way that I can. I know that it can be really helpful to talk through these things and then just get some guidance to resolve them and take care of this. And so if that's you, uh, you can reach me here at the email in the show notes of the episode. And for the rest of you, I hope this episode has been helpful to give you a kind of a, a window into how to do this and some of the questions that I ask and so you can start to pay attention on your end to try to identify what these triggers are to then resolve them and, and take care of this to get this out of your life. So I hope this has been helpful and I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Take care. Wait, before you go, I'm offering free access for my podcast listeners to a course I created. So make sure you go to coupleshealing.org so you can get some tools to start the healing process individually and in your relationship. Or if you want even more support and you'd like to work with me directly, you can contact me with the info that's on that website as well. I'm excited for you to make progress on your journey.